I'd like to talk about an area that is often uh, thought to be a little bit at odds with meditation practice or mindfulness practice or the Dharma. And it's really the area of creativity and imagination, of the creative, the imaginative. And it's funny that, I don't don't know why it's not spoken about more, actually, because it is woven in and through both the teachings of the Buddha and the practice that we do. Mostly it's all implicit. It's not spoken about explicitly. And again, I'm not sure why, but I would like to speak to it, given that what we're doing here is studying what it is to be a human being and the mystery of what that is. The the unfixedness of what that is. The unstatic reality of our aliveness. And so it's a little odd, you know, given that the movement to um, dharma, to realization, to maturity, to understanding, is really a journey through the unknown. And the unknown is you, me, us. That there's something unknown here to be to be known, to be realized, to be understood. But whenever you move, whenever one moves through the unknown, one always moves through the territory of creativity and imagination. You might just consider what it's like whenever you've gone to a new place you've never been before. And how open that is. How enlivening that is. How all our senses come alive. And not only do we see new ways to be, new possibilities, um, but we also reimagine the whole world at that point. We re-understand the whole world at that point. That whatever is limited, certain limitations on our view, our understanding, they start to dissolve and it, it, it expands. Proust said, we don't receive wisdom we must discover it for ourselves. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us and that no one can spare us from. And the path of Dharma is the journey to wisdom, to awakening. Now, in the culture, the insight meditation culture in America of Spirit Rock, of IMS, of the various sitting groups and the way that the Dharma has come down, let's say, in the last 30 or some years, one of the most prized or valued um, ideas is the idea of just being with our experience, right? We sit here and we're just going to be with the breath and be with the body learn how to be with our emotions, be with the process of thinking in a way that's transformative. For many people, it's one of the underlying uh, or one of the foundational values of what they learn in being mindful and what we learn. 
we learn how to be with our experience in a different way, in a way that's not reactive, in a way that's not grasping for the experience, in the way that's not pushing that experience away. But implicit in learning how to be with things are is not knowing how to be with things are at first. Not knowing this skill, not having this capacity. And it's a creative act to learn how to be with things uh, as they are. It's a creative act to learn to not grasp, try, hold on, reach for experience. It takes a certain creativity and imagination to learn how to be with things as they are and not push away, not cut off, not deny, not split off, not distance ourselves from experience. And what I'm pointing to a little bit is that, let's say, okay, this is one quality, being with things as they are, but really it's only, it's only one of the muscles that we need in meditation practice. We need to learn how to let things be. But we also need to remember that it's very creative to learn how to let things be. But some people, you would say, oh, just be with your experience as it is, and they don't even know what you're talking about. And at first, when we teach that often, we don't know what that means. And so we have to be creative, we have to be inventive, we have to be imaginative, we have to use our ingenuity to see, oh, how, how do you do that? And what I'm saying here is the creativity is already implicit in your practice. And part of what this points at is that meditation itself is a skill. It's a skill that we can learn. It's a skill that we develop. It's, and maybe it's better said, it's both a skill and an art. That there are certain skills to the practice, and then there's the art of practice. And they both call for our imagination, our intuition, our inventiveness, our curiosity, our willingness to try and see what works and what doesn't work, which is always part of the creative act. And so there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of qualities that we develop, we refine in the mastery of any skill. So initiation is important. Perseverance is important. Certain kind of effort is important. Even the effort, when the Buddha talks about right effort, the, the metaphor he often used was like tuning a stringed instrument. Tuning a lute or tuning a guitar, we would say, or a violin. If it's too loose, you know, doesn't sound good. If it's too tight, not only doesn't it sound good, you'll break the string. But tuning itself is a creative act. Not everybody does it the same. Not everybody has the same um, um, mastery of tuning. 
the sensitivity that's needed, the practice that's needed, the, the playing with it and seeing oh, what's really right. This is all part of creativity. So, initiation, persistence, effort, relaxation, very important part of practice. One, one whole way we can understand meditation is as the art of relaxation. The art of not only learning to be with things as they are, but really seeing to actually be fully present with our experience. We have to learn how to relax with it. A little bit of there's a correlate in yoga practice. If you're trying to do an asana or a posture, ultimately you're not really there until you learn to relax you know, upside down. And then you've really mastered something. How to find your way to that relaxation calls for your creative act. It calls for your play. It calls for your intuition and your trying and your imagining, well, maybe like this. Because nobody can actually tell you, even if they tell you. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody can tell you the absolute truth about whatever. Doesn't doesn't really go too far. You know, it may go enough to spur you on to really discover it for yourself. But we all need to make the journey for ourselves. So meditation, in addition to the relaxation, calls for determination, kindness, resiliency in practice, perseverance, imagination, creativity, ingenuity, inventiveness, resourcefulness, humor, really important in Dharma practice. Please. You know, I mean, you know, we, we'll spend plenty of time talking about suffering, I can assure you. But humor, lightheartedness, if you want to live a life of practice, if you want your practice to be alive, then we have to also cultivate some lightheartedness in addition to the kindness, the ease, the relaxation. And maybe most important is a willingness to learn from our mistakes. A willingness to learn from our mistakes. James Joyce said, mistakes are the portals of discovery. One of the beauties of Dharma practice is to see it will only go deeper if we're willing to make mistakes. If we try to hold to some kind of perfection, some idea from some book, from the Buddha, from me, if we're trying to hold from any kind of standard or idea or belief or image, your practice won't deepen. Your practice will only deepen if you get in there with the clay and you muck around trying to make a bowl. You can't make a bowl without getting your hands dirty. It's not possible. Your practice won't deepen 
if you don't, if you're not willing to make, make mistakes and be light about making mistakes. See that the mistakes are something to learn from. And to begin to see, to begin to consider, well, what will work? How could I try this? How do people get concentrated? How is it to get, what, how can I stay with the breath? How can I be with this emotion that feels overwhelming? What is equanimity? Can we imagine freedom? Can we imagine something beyond what we know? There's a story, it's actually in a book by Thomas Arabic, about a surgery students. A sociologist studied students in neurosurgery program. See what qualities separated those who succeeded from those who failed. He found ultimately that two questions in his interviews pointed to the crucial difference. He would ask the students, do you ever make mistakes? If so, what is the worst mistake you ever made? Those who failed the program would inevitably answer that they rarely made mistakes or else would blame their mistakes on factors beyond their control. Those who succeeded in the program not only admitted to many mistakes, but also volunteered information on what they would not do to repeat those mistakes in the future. This is how we learn. This is how we develop. This is how we grow. This is a creative act to study our experience and be willing to try something else, experiment with something else, see what else might work when we see that something doesn't work. You know, when I first, I'll give you a little example. When I first came to practice, I had a, I had a, a little bit of a, an odd experience, interesting experience on the first retreat where I was trying to sit and I was having a hard time, having a hard time settling. And at a certain point after about five or six days, I just vowed to sit still for one sitting. And I couldn't, you know, it was really hard. But I sat and I sat and I had all this pain, 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 burning, twitching, tearing, ripping, throbbing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm being with it, being with it, being, and I'm noticing my aversion, aversion, hate it, hate it, fuck, fuck, go away, go away. You know, I'm noticing the whole experience, I'm staying with it, staying with it, staying with it. And at some point, finally, the bell rang. And it was like the pain went away, my knee went away, I went away, and I couldn't stop being mindful for that whole day. I mean, I just couldn't stop. Something happened. And it was striking. It definitely caught my attention. And, I, and it, was, it was beautiful. It was like all of a sudden there was effortless practice. Like something cracked, something broke in my mind, really. And actually what happened was my mind got so concentrated, and well, when that bell rang, everything went away. And, um, and I, I thought, cool, you know, that's cool. Oh, this is what meditation does. This is what, what I want. So I went to the second retreat and I decided to sit still until the pain came and then sit with the pain until this experience happened again. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't work that way. 
And I was really a little dumbfounded. So then, you know, I kept doing retreats and I kept seeing, oh yeah, I could get very concentrated with pain. And if I sat on a cushion, which I did for 15 years, I inevitably had pain in my knees. And I would use it and I would get concentrated. And, you know, I learned skillfully how to do it. Not really, I didn't hurt myself. But, but at some point I just thought, you know, this may not be the best way to go. You know, maybe there's another way. And I remember talking to Sharon Salzberg. I said, I told her about the pain and what happened. And, and then uh, I said, do I, do I always have to sit with this? And she said, no. I said, is it okay if I sit in a chair? She said, oh yeah, that's fine. So then I started sitting in a chair. And it was hard at first because I couldn't get concentrated in the same way because... I didn't have the pain anymore. And then I had to learn how to get concentrated without pain. Now, luckily, there's a way. <laughs> and it's actually through pleasure that we can get concentrated. And there's a whole skill, an art, to learning how to get concentrated with the pleasant sensations we now have the flyers for the beginning class and the sutta class. Thank you, Pamela. Um, um, there's a way to get concentrated using the pleasure of the body and the breath. And, and it's learning how to attune to it, learning how to get close to it, learning how to let it fill you as you breathe and as you feel the body. And it's its own art and it, create, it takes a certain amount of creativity to play with it. First of all, to even imagine it. Because remember, if we don't know what something is, we have to start to wonder what it is. And this, this will happen at every stage of your development in practice. That there'll be a, well, what, what is this like? Or what could that be like? There, something's being taught. Like concentration, you don't really know what it is. And so you want to wonder a little bit. You want to wonder, you want to see, oh, is this it? I remember when I was first doing absorption practice, deep absorption practice, I, would, I was calling my teacher at the time, and I would call in and I would say all these things that happened, waiting to hear him say, oh, yeah, that's it. And he would say, oh, stay with the breathing and hang up on me. <laughs> Just not hang up, but, you know, I'd get about 30 seconds or a minute. And then, you know, the next day all these things would happen. I'd think, oh, maybe this is it. I didn't know. And I'd say, okay, this happened, that happened. And then he'd say, okay, good, good. Stay with the breathing. And then one, and then as things started changing, I called him up. I said, oh, I don't care what you have to say right now. This is what's happening. And then I heard him pause, right? Because something was happening. And then he said, stay with the breathing. <laughs> And then, and then right after that, I went in and something happened. And now I didn't need him to confirm. I knew. It was like, oh, this is it. It was very clear at that point. And so what I'm suggesting here is that if we're practicing in any way, shape, or form, first of all, we're already using our creativity and our imagination. Let's recognize it. Because it can help us as we recognize that we're using it we can use it more consciously. And so as I suggested to you, as I suggested to you um, um, 
just in the little instructions that I gave, even being with the breath, we can be creative. We can be imaginative. We can be playful with the breathing. Even to say, take a few deep breaths as a way to come into your body, that's a creative act. That, that's not in the... The Buddha never said that. He never, never said that at all. Somebody else made that up. Me. <laughs> or whoever. It doesn't even matter who made it up. You'll make up something that'll work for you. In one, one teaching that I use, you do this thing of you breathe in through the back of your skull. Right? You try it. You can try it. You can breathe in through the back of your skull. Takes a little imagination, right? If you breathe in the back of your skull and breathe out different parts of your body, you know, scientifically it doesn't make a lot of sense. But in terms of practice, we start to feel the breath in a very full, big way everywhere. We start to see the breath energy can be felt anywhere. Or even to say, stay with the breath at the nostrils. How do you do that? You have to experiment. You have to find a way. You have to try something. You have to be willing to, to, to play with it. And this is fun, actually. It's really fun when we give ourselves permission, when we're conscious of it. That we're going to be really creative. And you know, we, we like to think about things when we're sitting. If you really want to think about something, think about the breath. Where is it? How does it feel? How can I get closer? How can I be more intimate with the breath? What does it mean to bring the body and mind so that there's not a separation? The, the mind and the breath, so there's no separation. And, and we're not looking for an intellectual answer. We're not looking for a cognitive answer or a conceptual answer. We're looking for that felt sense reality where we go, aha, aha. And then when that aha comes to you, and it will, the practice is alive. You've learned something. And you've learned it through your experimentation, your creativity, your imagination. So I want to encourage you to be creative, to be inventive. You know, if you're always sitting on a cushion, try sitting some, sit on a chair, sit on a couch. What makes it harder? What makes it easier? Where are the places in your life where you're not being mindful? How can you be creative there? With your partner, your children, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, at home, at work, at school in the bathroom, on your bike, swimming, dancing, gardening, act, if you're an activist, whatever it might be. Let the Dharma capture your imagination. It's a beautiful phrase. Letting the Dharma capture your imagination. Even, even to think about the Eightfold Path, the Buddha's teaching about how to, 
how to live a life of Dharma. It's a creative act. It can't be any other way. Any other way, it's kind of rote. It's script. It's boring. It's not interesting. It's not alive. These aren't proscriptions. Right understanding, right aspiration, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. These aren't prescriptions. These are opportunities to act. These are opportunities to be creative, to wonder, to be curious, to play. It needs our imagination to come alive, the Dharma. Or loving-kindness practice, metta practice. How many people here don't know what metta practice is? I just want to see a few people. Okay. So the formal practice is a practice of saying phrases of goodwill. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free from fear, free from harm. May I be healthy. May I be well. May I live at ease. And then, of course, may you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be well. May you be free from fear. And it's an offer. It's a certain kind of meditation where you say the phrases over and over and you really let them fill you, these phrases. And they have an amazing impact after a while. Um, but, but they're not... If you do them rote, they actually can become very boring. You have to keep... You have to be creative with the practice so that it lives. So some people sometimes say, internally, they sing the phrases to themselves. Or you do little, little games. You play with them so that they come alive. You, partly you envision, you visualize the person you're doing it for, yourself or somebody else. Or you... Um, or, or, you, or you say them, you see, actually you can say them from different parts of your body. You can say it from your mind, but you can also say it from your heart. Or you can say it from your belly, from your body. And anybody who's done intensive metta practice for a week or a month or three months or longer, they have all kinds of ways that they do it. There's no, and none of it's written in the Buddhist text. Because it's a creative act to practice. Or the suttas. Like we'll do a class on the suttas. I, I did not like the suttas at first. They were like boring and old and not relevant to me. And But if you know the secret of how to read them, if you start to read them creatively, they come alive. And the wisdom is there, the magic is there, the Dharma is there, the Buddha is, is here, really. When we're creative, when we, when we bring our uh, inventiveness, when we bring our sense of aliveness to something. When we let the Dharma capture our imagination. And you know how it is when you've let something capture your imagination. Because we've all let something, or often someone, capture our imagination, right? 
You know, when some, somebody's captured our imagination, we want to know all about them. We want to know everything. And we'll be very creative trying to find out. Very creative. Calling them, sending emails, flowers maybe, poems. All of a sudden we're writing poems. We're not even a poet. Music, you know, we want, we need music. You know, if we're with them, we want, the setting becomes more creative. The lighting might become more creative. Or if something else captures our imagination, whether it's whatever it might be, history, or gardening, or riding bike, or whatever it might be, you know, then we become interested and we're learning and we, we try things and we do it and we throw ourselves in in a very full way. That en- enlivens us and enlivens whatever we're, we've been captured by. So one way to think about this whole question of creativity and imagination, inventiveness, is to also look at the Buddha. Look at the Buddha's life. Look at what he did. The Buddha did an amazing thing. He imagined freedom. He imagined happiness. He imagined a freedom and a happiness beyond what he saw or found anywhere in this world. That's a pretty amazing creative act. He imagined something nobody had imagined in his time. People told him it wasn't possible, that there wasn't a freedom beyond suffering. There wasn't an ultimate happiness that we could have. And he looked for that happiness and he looked in every place that we looked and then he started looking at places nobody else had looked. He imagined it could be found. And he had the vision both to imagine a complete freedom and release that it was possible and then he had the verve, he had the nerve, he had the courage both to envision and then develop and create a body of skillful means to realize his vision. It wasn't just laid out for him. Just as really, it's not just laid out for us. There's a lot of help, there's a lot of support, but we must make the journey ourselves. Nobody can do it for us. And even though there's a lot of pointers, as you go, at some point, your own pointers will come. Your own understanding will actually guide you. So he had the imagination, the ingenuity, as well as the perseverance, the effort, the lightness, the relaxation, all those qualities to take him all the way to this freedom and happiness that he envisioned, that he imagined. Again, from Tanisaro Bhikkhu. What made the Buddha special was that he never lowered his expectations. He imagined the ultimate happiness, one so free from limit and lack that it would leave no need for further desire. And you know that 
beautiful poem from Ryokan that begins, Without desire... My God, I can't remember the second line. Without desire... Basically, he says, everything is fine. God, I can't remember the way... I gotta, I gotta see if I can remember here. Pardon? No, sorry. Good try. That's, that's the third Zen patriarch. Um, without desire, everything is sufficient. Without desire, everything is sufficient. And so the Buddha did have a desire, a desire for freedom, and he followed it all the way. As Tanisaro Bhikkhu says, that he, he found a happiness that one so free from limit and lack that it would leave no further room for desire. And then he treasured his desire for that happiness to make it his highest priority, bringing all other desires into, into dialogue with it. He explored various strategies until finding one that actually attained that unlimited goal. The strategy became his most basic teaching, the Four Noble Truths. And so we might consider that the lack of awakening for us is a lack of imagination. We don't actually believe it's possible. And the Buddha said it many times. He said, if it were not possible, I would not teach it. If freedom were not possible, I would not teach it. If happiness were not possible, I would not teach him. You can watch what your mind does. You can watch how your mind tells you all the different reasons freedom's not possible for you. And it might do it in a nice way or it might do it in a cynical way or it might do it in a judgmental way. But it's not true. Freedom is possible and the Buddha would not have taught it if it were not possible. And since his time and his teaching of the Dharma, many people have let the Dharma capture their imagination and lead them to freedom. And they've done the work and the creative acts necessary to take that journey. And it's available really for all of us. One of my friends um, was talking with somebody, a woman, who's done a lot of practice, a lot of practice, and definitely had some very deep realization, both textbook realization and otherwise, because it comes in many forms. And she was talking to my friend, the woman, and said how, she said she really felt the possibility of having a completely purified mind. I mean, she's somebody totally in the world, totally, you know, relationship, work, everything. She said, oh, I really can feel it. I can feel how it's, it's not so far away that it's really possible to have a totally purified mind, a totally free mind. And my friend who heard this, it really, it really moved her back a little bit. And she realized she'd been holding some limited idea of what was possible. And this woman, who she knows and is friends with, saying that really opened up her imagination about what is possible. How deep, how 
vast the possibility is for freedom. There's so many ways to go with this in Buddhism. From the Dhammapada, it says, We are what we think. All that we are rises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. And I don't often use this quote because people then think they have to control their thoughts. They can't think a bad thought or something. And that's actually... It's very tricky to use it because it also ties into this New Age idea that we're in control and if we just say the right affirmations and everything will turn out that way. And that's not what's meant here. What's meant here really is if we purify our heart and mind, or maybe a better word is if we clarify our heart and mind, if we learn to pay attention, to be mindful, the heart and mind will begin to clarify on its own. We don't actually do the clarifying. We don't actually extract the bad thoughts and put in good thoughts or extract the mean feelings and put in feelings of being nice and happy. That's not how it works. What, how it works is our um, mindfulness together with our authenticity, the willingness to be real, to see what's actually here, will begin to reveal the depth of what's real. So first we might be aware of the surface, our thinking, our thoughts, our envy, our jealousy, our wanting, our not wanting, all the, quote, impure thoughts. But if we're willing to stay present, if we're willing to be with our experience as it is, the real will continue to show itself. If we're willing to be authentic, what's real will reveal itself to us. The depth of what's real, not just the surface. Rio Khan puts it another way. He says, the rain has stopped. The clouds have drifted away and the weather is pure again. If your heart is pure, all things in your world are pure. Abandon this fleeting world. Abandon yourself. Then the moon and flowers will naturally guide you along the way. If we learn how to let go, if we learn how to not hold on to anything, then the truth will reveal itself quite naturally just like the moon comes up when the sun goes down. There's one other piece that I want to mention. And again, like I said, we could go many different directions with this. But let's just look at now. 
How is now being created? Let's look at the creativity of this moment. What do we believe is happening? What do we imagine is happening? Mostly, we tend to imagine that we're sitting here as somebody who had this whole past and has become this person and that's who we are. Most of you agree with me? That's generally what we do. We imagine, okay, I'm Eugene. And I'm Eugene who's had all these experiences and they're all here somewhere. I'm wondering if we could imagine that something else might be happening. That reality might be created now. That it comes alive now. And that the past is actually gone. That it's not here. That what seems so real is actually not real now. It's an idea, it's a memory, it's a belief. That each breath is not a continuation of the last breath, but is being created now. That our life is being created now. Our reality is being created now. And it could be much more open than we generally take it to be. One of the one of the beauties of especially going on a long retreat of of any length is when people get a taste of the freshness of reality, of the immediacy that's here. And actually it doesn't have to be on retreat, it can happen in nature or at any moment it can burst through the haze of habit and the fog of the trance of our ideas and beliefs and histories and conditioning. This is from Hamid Ali. He said, This present arising is creativity. And in this sense, everything is creativity. The whole thing is a constant process of creation. Everything is being created every second, every split second. You are being created. So is everything. We've been, we have been lulled into the conventional belief that we come from the past, from our father and mother, from childhood experiences, and from our history. Our mind uses this story so that we don't look at the issue of our origin more directly. The mind is habituated to think that the past is where everything comes from. But that is illogical because the past actually does not exist. So what do you want to do now? No past, no you, in, the, in that habituated way, in that ideal way. But as a living, alive, creative reality, yes, we're here. Something's here. Something has to get its hair cut. And... <laughs>
So my hope, my wish, is really that we can be more uh, conscious of meditation as a creative act, as mindfulness as a creative act, as the Dharma as a creative act, and something to capture our imagination and take us beyond anything we know. Take us beyond all the limitations that we suffer with. And I don't mean the limitations of, you know, that bodies live and die. I mean the limitations of the ideas we have about what's possible in terms of happiness and freedom. So let's sit for a couple minutes, please. May the merit of our practice here this evening, may we share it freely, gladly, for the benefit of all. May all beings be happy and peaceful. Of course, please include yourself when we offer our, our good wishes this way, our goodwill. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, the myriad sufferings of war and fear and division and racism and confusion, hatred, greed, avarice, ignorance. May all beings, all beings everywhere be free from suffering. May all beings be well, May all beings be healthy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings awaken. May awaken to happiness and freedom beyond anything known. May we awaken to the happiness and freedom that the Buddha discovered with his imagination and creativity.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.